Hi, this is Kathy. When I was listening to the last episode of Before Me when we were editing, I got chills. And I couldn't wait to listen to the next one. If you love the series as much as I do, you should press pause before you keep listening and share the first episode of Before Me with a friend. Send it to a family member and post about it on your social media. Word of mouth is so important for independent shows like Before Me. So if you know somebody who would appreciate hearing these stories from Lisa and her family, then please take a minute to share. Thanks for supporting our work. Why would I want to come to America? I mean, my country was so good. Um, Cambodia was a neutral country, was, was Westerners uh, vacation place. Right, I mean, so you just thought you would live there? Of course. Before the war was a, such a beautiful country. The French took vacation, the whole world took vacation in Cambodia. No, no, never, never, never wanted to come here. I knew it was cold. No. Every once in a while, my mom sprinkles a childhood memory into our conversation. The succulent pig her grandfather would roast for weddings. How she and her friends would stop at Chinese factories and ask the workers for pins of Chairman Mao. They thought it was so cool to cover their shirts with all these pins. But she never talks about her childhood for too long. If I press her for more details, she'll say she misses the food. The lobster is just like a big shrimp, very tender and sweet. We brown the garlic, and then we just bring it to boil and let it cook with the garlic and its own broth. And we add a little tiny of our cane sugar to it. Ah, oh, oh, this world, so good. And so tender, so delicious. Mm. I do miss the food a lot. Once a, a country goes to war and your family got killed, your feelings very mixed, you know? That's why I say right now, I don't know what I miss besides the food. Because the people can turn things upside down and kill people like that. You know, I don't know, feelings very mixed. Well, do you want to go back? Yeah, maybe one day. One day I'll, I'll be brave not to go back. Mentally, emotionally, what I mean when I say brave. It will bring back a lot of sadness, though. Yeah, I don't want to go back now. I'm not ready for the pain. No. Mm-mm. The recurring pain, no, no. I'm definitely not ready for that. Because my life moves on, you know. But you think you will be ready one day? Hopefully. So when do you think you'll be ready? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm Lisa Fu, and you're listening to Before Me, a five-part story that follows my mom's journey from Cambodia to America and the long overdue conversation that helped us connect over our family's history.
At the end of the last episode, I learned how my cousin Lynn and her siblings had reunited with my parents and my two older sisters in Vietnam. All of a sudden, there were eight mouths to feed. They were still living outside Ha Tien in Vietnam. My dad wasn't making any money by fixing watches, so my mom decided to get into the gold business. The Vietnamese had pushed the Khmer Rouge back into the jungle, which meant the border was relatively safe again. Cambodians would go to the border to sell their gold, diamonds, and jewelry. During that time, Cambodians have no currency. They're depending on their gold. They sell their gold to, to people from Vietnam and exchange the Vietnam currency so they can buy some good to bring home. My mom would buy the gold for cheap at the border and sell it in Vietnam for higher prices. When you buy gold, right, one ounce, you buy, let's say, $50. You come back, sometimes you sell for $80 or sometimes even $100. She sold her gold in Ha Tien, and her customers in Ha Tien sold it to people in Saigon. For the past several years, she had been using gold here and there to get out of tight situations and to bring family members together. But this was a new level of risk and danger. She'd set out around four in the morning and walk for at least three hours to meet sellers from Cambodia. The Cambodia, they come out very early. If you don't get there early enough, people will buy all your gold. In the morning, she took the main road to the border, but to return to Ha Tien, she would go off-road to avoid getting checked by guards. When the woman go over to the border to do business, then the soldier know that you, you buy gold. So if you go the main road where the soldier are, they will start to search you. Taking the back way meant walking through swamps and lakes and sinking through deep mud. One time I kept sinking and the men back pulled me up. Because those ones, when you sink, you cannot swim. You just went and die, you know. The one man in the back, he, his side, he got the, the grassland. So he hold on those thick grass and he, hold, he pulled me out. Taking the back way also meant she could step on a landmine. Because by this time, Cambodia had become one of the most heavily mined places in the world. On some days, my mom would see water buffalo dead from a landmine in places she had just walked through the day prior. But she never stepped on one. People always follow me. They think that I always bring them good luck. I'll be the first one dead if there's a bomb, right? I, wherever I go, they just like duck, they follow my route. Because I did not step anything, right? They just follow me, follow me. How did you know where to go to not step on them? You just don't know. You just take your, take your chance. You have to assume, you have to pray that there's no landmine. Just go. You know, landmine everywhere. She made this nerve-wracking journey back and forth to the border every day with the gold filling up secret compartments in her clothing. We saw a little pocket like inside the, the underwear. Many, many little pockets. This is how my mom supported her family. Was she scared? Oh, yeah. But during that time, I did that because I know how many mouths waiting for me to come back and eat. They'd be starving if I didn't, didn't do that, that business. 
My mom credits luck as the reason she never stepped on a landmine and for all those other close calls. And she had a huge advantage. In the more than five years she and Ki Song lived in Vietnam, she had learned how to fit in. Because I speak Vietnamese, that is a big plus. Because I fit right in. You know, they consider me just one of them. Ki Song was difficult because he, he couldn't speak Vietnamese, so... Uh, they always outcast him a little bit. But when I speak with them, they just consider I'm a Vietnamese. But my mom and dad weren't citizens of Vietnam. They were refugees. Vietnam never became our home, you know, just a temporary home. We're always hoping we can go back to Cambodia because Cambodia, this, we own a house, the family's house. We always want to go back there. My mom had been through so much, losing her first daughter and so many loved ones, and fleeing murder. Still, I understood why she wanted to go back. She had a beautiful childhood, the kind of charmed life that gave her the boldness to walk through fields of mines. My mom was born in 1955, when her grandmother first laid eyes on her, she didn't want to let her go. My grandmother got five sons, only two daughters. And of course, after my aunt, she had all boys. So all of a sudden, there's a girl baby in the house. So she decided to keep it. <laughs> keep, keep me, yeah. That's how my mom ended up being raised by her grandparents. She says her own mom was still very much in her life, but had married a second time and was raising other kids. My grandfather, oh my God, he spoiled me to death. I remember every morning he took me to the coffee shop, sit next to him, and he let me taste the coffee. He drink the coffee with condensed milk, and he always pour a little cup, and he give it to me, and I drink it. But, oh. <laughs> the coffee always made her sick. And then they have white dumpling, and they have the special fry that dip in the coffee. Fried bread, right? Fried bread, yeah. Oh, they have so many dim sum stuff. Oh, he ordered the whole table and he had me eat. I was so little, I remember. He just fed me. In the meantime, we have so much meat at home. Her grandfather was a meat merchant. So my mom was never hungry. And her grandmother was used to cooking for a family of nine, so she would make huge portions of food, even though her own kids had long grown up and left the house. <laughs> so so they always for me to eat, you know. But you ate a lot. I ate a lot, yeah. <laughs> my grandma, she's skinny, but she ate a lot too. She's a very good eater. Food plays a big role in my mom's life. You can hear it when she talks about food. And she passed that on to me. Some of my happiest moments in childhood surround food. Like when my mom would bring home a big brown bag of crabs from Chinatown. After the rest of the family had gotten full or bored, the two of us would still be left at the dinner table, shucking away. When she was a kid, my mom was constantly being spoiled by her uncles, especially her fourth uncle. 
he perm my hair, he put dress on me. You should see all the pictures that he took me. I got perm with <laughs> a little kid. <laughs> so I remember before the New Year, you know how big the Chinese celebrate New Year's Eve. They go out to eat, they have a big feast, and they flower, this and that, right? So the Chinese New Year's Eve, oh my God, my fourth uncle took me to to the shop and pick out shoes, pick out dress, pick out, oh, he just loved to dress me up. I'm the youngest one in the, in the family. He just loved me so much. My uncle loved me, my grandparents loved me. I grew up with a lot of love. My mom told me how she lived just outside of town with her grandparents on a piece of land big enough to build four houses and raise pigs for the meat business. We even have pigeons. We have 15 dogs. Yeah, because those dogs guided the pigs. We have monkey, besides the goose, the chicken. We, we, we always have a lot of animals. There were banana trees, coconut trees, tons of flowers, and these special greens that her grandfather picked and turned into a remedy for acne. And he chop, 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 and he'll put it on for them. Yeah, and he's very good. He give poor people meat. My mom says he was a good, respected man. For Lunar New Year, different Chinese groups would perform the dragon dance. One of the groups practiced at my mom's grandparents' place for two months leading up to the holiday. And whenever the dance group was there, her grandfather made a giant pot of pigeon porridge. Many, many men involved in that. Some play drum, some do the, you know, the monkey. And so when they practice, at least 25 men came to practice. You make a big pot of porridge to show those men for weeks. She often watched the practice, full of excitement. And if she was still awake when it was over, she might join the men and eat some porridge. Other times, she fell asleep to the beating rhythm of the dragon dance. My grandfather bicycle to the city at night for coffee, or for socialize, and bicycle home, right? And on the way home, all of a sudden, like five, six men tried to beat him, right? But because my grandfather no kung fu, he beat them all. <laughs> he beat them all. Some broke the teeth. <laughs> so he's no kung fu, he beat them all. <laughs> so after that, nobody dared to, to bother him ever again. My mom's life was pretty much a child's dream. Animals, dragon dances, kung fu fighting. And it didn't stop there. Every weekend, she and her friends would bike to a place they called White Horse Beach. We swim, we hang out, stay there because so hot. We did not leave the beach until our skin cracked open and bleed. The coast was lined with coconut trees and villas. My mom would see French tourists sunbathing in the nude and Cambodian merchants selling barbecue chicken. Sometimes she and her friends would pay a little money and take a boat to a nearby island. We can find wonderful clam, so sweet. Oh, you boil it and then you dip in the nook nam. Oh my gosh, so we always bring a bucket with us. We caught a lot of those clam and a special clam to eat, they grow in the rock. Look like rock, right? but you break it, clam inside, white clam, like an oyster texture. And then you go home, you 
you do five eggs delicious no so our family you know I bring home family or bring all the time they are very happy <laughs> my mom and her friends might go to the stream to swim or she might canoe across the river to her aunt's orchard she always invited a few friends to come along they love to come with me once we'll go there hmm, any food you eat grow all the way down to near the ground right all kinds when it's in season. So every month we go there, it's always something in season. Oh, we have fun. 12 months a year of fruit. Durian, bananas, papayas, coconuts, pineapples, mangoes with thin seeds and hairless meat. So many other fruits that my mom doesn't know the English names for. Even during the monsoon season, they'd pick unripe mangoes to pickle. This was the happiest time of my mom's life, growing up in Cambodia with a caring family, endless possibilities, and the kind of young love that still makes her laugh and smile today. After the break, my mom tells me about her first giant crush. Hi, I'm Rochelle. I'm the resident DJ here at Self-Evident, but... I also manage our oral history program, where we help Asian diaspora folks document the history of their loved ones and communities. If hearing these stories from Lisa, Lon, and Lynn gets you thinking about your own family, then you can use our digital toolkit to learn how to do an oral history interview. It's free and you can go completely at your own pace. So give it a try at selfevidentshow.com slash history. Also, you don't have to learn all by yourself. If you want to chat with other Before Me listeners and oral history learners, you can join us on Discord by going to selfevidentshow.com slash participate. Thanks. A crush? <laughs> crush, yeah. His high school kid in Cambodia, you're never allowed to fall in love with anybody. No. We like each other, but we're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> I miss those years. <laughs> what was his name? Ching Sung. Yeah, Ching Sung. He's so sweet. I still miss him. <laughs> That's my first love. <laughs> It was the mid-1960s. My mom was a middle school student, and the boy she's talking about, Ching Shun, was in high school. She attended a private school in Kampat as a day student. It was high-end. People in the capital city of Phnom Penh sent their kids there to board. I teach them everything. I tutor them math, tutor them language. She was a class tutor, which earned her a partial scholarship to the school, and she helped students who struggled. I even had to help them with the Chinese calligraphy too, because those all Phnom Penh students, they're bad. They don't even know how to do calligraphy. And by the time I finished, tutor everybody, he sometimes waiting for me outside to talk to me. <laughs> he was a high school class leader and was responsible for making sure the younger kids, the middle schoolers, were doing okay. So nobody dated? 
nobody dated. No. Especially those those times uh, when I was middle school and he, you know, during that period, Mao, the rare ideas all over Cambodia. The Cultural Revolution was just starting in China. Mao Zedong's Little Red Book was being read in Cambodia. And they're very, very, very pure. They believe, oh, we cannot fall in love, you know, this thing. My mom told me that she wasn't allowed to express anything, that she was expected to focus on studying, not romance. What about him did you like? Number one, he's a very good student. Number two, he got a lot of that. And he got very, very good temperament and very good looking, stuff like that. My mom and Ching Shun would talk after school, still wearing their uniforms, white button-down shirts and black skirts for girls, black shorts for boys. They'd meet on an upper level that overlooked the basketball courts and pretend to watch the games as they talked about school and tutoring. After I tell him something, he still didn't want to leave. Sometimes he just pretend he asked me a question until the sun set. And I say, are you hungry? I say, I'm starving. I say, I will tell you. I told you about 10 times. <laughs> I say, time to go home. I'm hungry. I didn't know at first. But then other students, my, all my friends say, oh, my God, don't you know? He's crazy about you. <laughs> He's so sweet. <laughs> they would keep talking long after most of the other students had left. We both guys go home, but he lived across the river. He lived on the other side of the river and lived near the city. So um, I say, well, now you, you still have to cross the river, cross the bridge. Better leave now. <laughs> I miss him, though. I miss him. I do miss him. You can still see him? Oh, I still can see him, yeah. What did he look like? Let me see. Well, you don't you don't watch Chinese movie. He looked like one of the Chinese actor. Very, very cute, cute, cute little fellow. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long did you guys hang out? How many years? They class how about class about three years. So you guys hung out for three years? Yeah. Once a week. Every day, whenever he always wanted to talk to me every day. <laughs> When my mom talks about those days, she remembers her hopes for the future. The mid-50s and 60s gave Cambodia a chance to recover from the French colonial period and the fight for independence that ended it. Kampat, where my mom grew up, was prosperous. Schools and education were rapidly expanding. My mom was an excellent student and had hopes of becoming a psychologist. Starting from eight or nine years old, even elderly people, they, when they have problems, they always tell me about it. They always tell me about it. So I always wanted to be a psychologist. In Cambodia? Yeah. So I was planning that after I finish high school, I will pursue psychology after that. But then the war came. The civil war in Cambodia, which started in 1967, would intensify into the 1970s, when my mom was in her late teens. So instead of finishing high school and going to college, she married young, not to her teenage crush, but to my dad, Kisong, who was a family connection. 
She became a parent soon after. And with that, her dream and a lot of her happiness went away. In Cambodia, when you become a mom, your dream die. Unless you came from a very rich family, then your parents can support you. Because husband, the last thing they, they want you to be somebody. They just want you to be the mother of their children. So in 1979, at 24 years old, smuggling gold across the border to make a living, my mom was focused on caring for my sisters and cousins in Vietnam. Meanwhile, the Cambodia of her childhood was gone. She realized there was no one to go home to. And at the same time, my family couldn't stay in Vietnam forever. The Vietnamese government took more and more control. There was no opportunity, and it was harder and harder to make a living. My mom, who had once tutored other kids in math and calligraphy, who had once dreamed of studying psychology after high school, saw nothing like that for her kids. It was so disorganized. They have the night classes for growing up. They have so-called old classes, you know, for study, but they just brainwash you. So we knew we should, we cannot attend those communist propagandas. And there's no school for children. Nothing, no nothing. So people were leaving. My mom heard stories about people escaping. Some made it, some we heard them, they make it to the, the refugee and and they contact their relative in France or in overseas. Some we, we heard that they made it, they end up in another country. But some of them we never heard again, so we knew they, they, they couldn't make it. Both sing, you know. And some got raped, got killed. Many, many refugees could not make it. And the land escape, land escape was, was less risky from the ocean, but it's more risky to step the landmine. Every route was hazardous, but it was more than five years since they'd left home, and they couldn't see a life for themselves in Cambodia or in Vietnam. The past was gone, and staying would only mean more danger. So my parents decided escaping was the only option, even if they might die in the process. We'd rather take that risk and to have better future for the children and ourselves than just stay there and, and live the communist life and no future. In that decision, she saw that the home her children needed was not in the place of her own childhood. It was going to be in some unknown land. But first, she had to face one of the scariest things she'd ever experienced— the boat journey, escaping Cambodia for good. On the next episode of Before Me, my mom makes it all the way across the Pacific Ocean and meets her sponsor in Westchester, New York. Oh my God, he didn't comb his hair and he wore a very sloppy shirt, half in, half out, and his shoe was so old. And she and I look at each other and say, oh, oh, we got sponsored by a poor guy. <laughs> this episode was written and produced by me. Our editor is Julia Shu. Fact check by Harsha Nahata and Tiffany Bowie. Production management and sound design by James Boo. 
and additional help from Kathy Irway. Original theme music by Avery Stewart. Audio engineering by Dave Waldron and Timothy Lou Lee. As always, thanks to my mom for sharing these stories. If you want to record an oral history interview with someone you love, even if you've never tried it before, check out selfevidentshow.com slash history, where you'll find a free toolkit to help you take the next step. Before Me is a self-evident media production. Our executive producers are James Boo, Ken Akeda, and me. The show also receives support from the Alderworks Alaska Writers and Artists Retreat and the Juno Arts and Humanities Council. I'm Lisa Fu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>